doing this series on loving God and breaking it down into some different elements that, that would show, would evident evidence that we do love God. And uh, today, after God's commandments or law, God's word, God's order, last week, we come to God's ways, the ways of the Lord. Scripture in Isaiah 14 says, the ways of the Lord are right and the upright walk in them. We don't just admire them, we emulate them. We do the same. Aspiration. Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher with that capital T today. Come and instruct our hearts, draw out our faith and obedience to Jesus, and fix us again on Him, source and end of life, Alpha and Omega, that we may live in Him, with Him, and for Him. Amen. I'm going to start by going back to where the ways of the Lord kind of first really get talked about, and that's in Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring this people through, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you've found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I've found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. It was a heart's cry from Moses. I I, I need to know you. I, I need to know your way. And the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But Moses was persistent. And he said to God, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I'll also do this thing that you've spoken. For you found grace in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please, show me your glory. Then God said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And the Lord said, you cannot see my face, so no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, there is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. In the next chapter, that is exactly what happens. Moses is hidden in a space in the rock, and he sees the glory of God pass by. But the Lord declares his name and his ways to Moses. The Lord descended in the cloud, Exodus 34, verse 5, and stood with him there and proclaimed, the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, which is Yahweh, 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 the God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, the children's children, to the third and the fourth generation. Moses asked the Lord to show him his ways, But the Lord turned up and declared his name. God does what he does 
because of who he is. So his ways do demonstrate his character. From then on, Moses again and again is pointing Israel to both the commandments of the Lord and the ways of the Lord. Right throughout Deuteronomy, I've got a number of scriptures in the notes there. You shall walk in the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and it may be well with you. Um, one towards the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 30. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, that the Lord your God may bless you in the land which you go to possess. Love the Lord, fear the Lord, walk in his ways. Is loving and following his ways the same as just keeping his commandments? Not quite. It goes broader. It gets deeper than that. Because you can keep a commandment by going, tick. You know, especially when the commandment is a don't do. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Tick. No, I haven't done those. But to keep his ways pushes you a lot further in than simply to tick a don't list. It means you observe someone's way. You know what drives the way they do things. You know what they do, but you know why they do it. Teach me your ways, said Moses. I want you to picture a child growing and learning to become like their parent. They may start by following certain instructions. Now, Johnny, don't do that, do this. You know? But in time, they learn to emulate their parent for good or bad. They'll pick up your bad habits as well as your good habits. They'll do what they see, not what you say. <laughs> Loving and learning the ways of God means we are becoming like our Father as we see and understand what he does and why he does it. I'm not inventing the analogy. This is one of my favorite scriptures, Proverbs 23, 26. My son, by the way, that's inclusive. Yeah. Give me your heart. And let your eyes observe my ways. Heart, focus, fixed attention. You see, you learn, you do. Now, any parent could say that to their child. Come on, focus. Give me your heart, give me your attention. Stay switched, stay connected. And follow me, watch me. Do what I do. But actually... In the scripture there, that's the Lord saying it to us. If you still think I'm pushing this, being coming like our parent analogy too far, listen to Jesus. Matthew 5, verse 48. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Becoming like your heavenly parent. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. But if you, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't, don't even tax collectors do the same. What if you greet your brothers only? Do, what, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the tax collectors greet their friends. 
Therefore, you shall be perfect and mature, just as your Father in heaven is perfect and mature. Jesus also said this about forgiveness. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, let me read you what he said again. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Why won't he forgive me my trespasses? Because we're missing becoming like him. Learning his ways. He is the Lord, merciful, gracious, compassionate. And we can't get over the fact that someone snubbed us. You know, didn't return our phone call. Yeah? If you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Could say more about that, but anyway. Here's another one from Luke. Luke 6, verse 27 to 36. I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who despitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer him the other also. From him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. This is being oppressed. This is not someone asking a favor. You're being pressured, persecuted into these things. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? It goes on, love your enemies, do good, lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind even to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Those three scriptures are just part of a thread that runs through the teaching of Jesus. That the children of God are not only under His care, provision and protection. We do not just have a good father in heaven who knows how to do good to his children, but we are to learn to become like our father in heaven. Following the ways of the Lord is a choice that we make. Let's go back to Moses again. Psalm 103.7 makes this comment. That God made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Hebrew poetry often works by repetition. You say it, you say it again. Now, sometimes that's, that, that's a repetition. You're saying the same thing in a slightly different way. And preachers can tie themselves in knots trying to make two things that are the same sound as if they're different. Because sometimes it's just a repetition. It's a repetition instead of, instead of rhyme, it's repetition. But sometimes there's a contrast. You say this and then you say that and it's something different. We believe this is one of them. God was intimate with Moses spoke to him. Moses saw something of the glory of God again and again. Maybe it was just a shining light. And he heard the voice of God again and again. And Moses entered into that kind of intimacy because he had cried from the bottom of his heart, show me your ways. I can't do this if I don't know you. But the children of Israel saw the works of God. God turned up and did this, and they got scared. God turned up and that, and they were amazed. 
And then, then they, they wandered in their minds and their hearts and their affections. They still, still hid their idols under their beds and all that kind of stuff. So they only saw God's works, but Moses knew God's ways. And Moses was given by God to be his representative to Israel, to the people, to be the prophet, prophetic leader. And there were times when Moses came out of the presence of God that Moses' face shone with the reflected glory of God. He put a veil over his face to cover it because the, the longer he was away from the presence of God, the more it faded. A bit like a sunset. This, this, this shining reflection of God's glory. Moses was entrusted by God to demonstrate, not only speak his words, but show his ways to the people of Israel. And Moses' one great failure one day was when he failed to do that. He failed to honor the Lord. The Lord had told him to speak to the rock. Earlier he'd struck the rock as commanded. This time he was told to speak to the rock. He didn't. He struck it again, and he berated the people of Israel and said, do we have to get water for you rebels again? And he failed to honor the Lord and to do it the way the Lord told him to do it because what the Lord told him to do demonstrated not just a decision by God, but the way of God. Before that failure, Moses never saw, apart from the distance, the promised land. The disciples had almost three years with the Lord Jesus. They watched him, listened to him, learned his ways. In his teaching, he challenged them to observe him, to follow him, to take his yoke upon them. Not the yoke of the law, the burden of the law, but the yoke of Jesus and his teaching and his ways. And yet he speaks to them along the way, as we've just seen. They were called to be children of God. Learn to become like their Father in heaven. We're thinking about things that are in God's nature. His works flow from His ways. The Bible speaks of what He loves and therefore also what He hates. I did this the other, the other evening. You might want to do it if you've got some Bible software online. And there's good websites completely free online. You can do this stuff. Look up the word God and, or Lord and hate. It's interesting the things that God hates. I'll give you one scripture here. And there, by the way, if you love something, you can't love without discriminating against something else. If you love this woman, you're not going to love those women. You don't have to hate them with, and loathe them, but you have chosen not to put any affection in that direction. Sound like an American preacher, don't I? <laughs> don't put your affection in that direction. Um, you, you cut that off because you've made a decision. So when you love something, you discriminate against other things because you don't love them. You've chosen not to love that. So in a sense, you hate it. There are six things the Lord hates. Yes, it's seven are an abomination to it. All right, bit of Hebrew poetry there. You say six, but you mean seven. Here they are. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among brethren. Whether that's a, a literal family, you know, or a, a Christian family. The tribe of believers together. God hates those things. 
Why does God hate those things or even those people? Because they're the very opposite of what he loves. When we learn to love what God loves and, and decide against, or hate is the word, what God hates, we are learning his ways. Here are some of the ways of the Lord then. Let's just spell them out quickly. I've got one longer one, a lot of short ones. Truth. God loves truth and hates deceit. All right? He hates deceit. He hates lying. He hates falsehood. He hates false oaths. He hates, he hates manipulation. Wrapping people around with words so as to mislead them. God likes, loves truthfulness. He is truth and he speaks the truth. And he loves that in us. And he hates every evil way of deceit. God loves justice. He loves justice and hates injustice and oppression. In fact, if you look at the prophets, when you go through Old Testament prophets, you find again and again God is weighing in through the prophets against those who practice oppression, who don't pay fair wages, who rob people, who, 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 who take away from widows and don't help the poor, don't help the needy, don't help the disabled. <laughs> You know, who, who lead the blind astray, who, who, who deceive the deaf. God's against them. He hates injustice, unfairness. The problem is we can get fired up about injustice too, but our, the problem is our hearts are still wicked and deceitful, and we can deal unjustly with injustice. We can be unfair in the way we deal with unfairness. We can go over and become vengeful and bitter, and violent, and we've, we've just blown it. shows that we need to learn God's ways because our ways don't, don't work God's righteousness. The wrath of man, says the Scripture, does not work the righteousness of God. We don't do it the way he wants it done, and therefore it doesn't work. Justice. God cares deeply, profoundly about justice. People like Martin Luther King, well, he got shot for it, didn't he? Quoting the Old Testament prophets and applying it to the America of his time. Justice matters profoundly to the Almighty. That we live in an unjust society in any way is an offense against God. Righteousness. Now, righteousness is different to justice. Righteousness is being good and doing good. Very simply, doing the right thing. Choosing to do the right thing. The thing that pleases God, the thing that honors uh, people. God is good and only God is good. Jesus told us that. We're repeatedly told to do the same thing. Here's just three of them. To love righteousness and hate evil. You who love the Lord hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Amos 5 verse 5, hate evil, love good. One of the Psalms, which is a Messianic Psalm, says, you have loved righteousness and hated evil, therefore the, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. It's a Messianic Psalm, it's about Jesus. But Jesus loved righteousness, and if you really love righteousness, you have to hate evil. You hate what offends God, what harms people, what is part of that whole world of sin and corruption and death that we are born into and live in and accept God rescues us from it, that's what will be our eternal reward as well. We hate it. Love, righteousness, hate, evil. We're to love mercy and forgiveness and therefore to resist being unforgiving and unmerciful. In fact, God resists the unmerciful and unforgiving. 
Jesus told us that in the scriptures we just read. He told us these stories about unforgiving servants, didn't he? Yeah? The servant who'd been, who'd been forgiven millions of pounds of debt and then wanted to string his fellow servant up for a very small sum. Yeah? Literally, you know. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that and you want that out of him? Throw him in prison. Mercy and forgiveness. What did God proclaim to Moses? I am Yahweh, the Lord. Gracious, merciful, forgiving. It's his way. Now, you say, well, justice is his way and mercy is his way. Well, they're contradictory, aren't they? Yes, they are. That's why there's a cross. Because only at the cross was the justice of God and the mercy of God reconciled. We say that we were reconciled to God through the cross of Jesus. Yes, we were, but there's another side to it. God reconciled himself to us. He put his justice, his judgment on Jesus. So it doesn't fall on us. Mercy, scripture in the Psalms, I love it. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That's between the outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross. God reconciled himself to us. Mercy and forgiveness. Another one, humility. Humility. God loves the humble and resists the proud. If we want God to fight us, just act proudly. You cannot swagger and brag through life without being humbled at some point. God won't allow it. Pride comes before a fall. We forget that the famous passage in Philippians 2 about Jesus who humbled himself and became a servant and then became a man and then he became the, the sacrifice on the cross. That is in the context of Paul appealing to the Philippians. The Philippians. Get hold of them. He's appealing to them to have the same mind, to practice the same humility. We admire Jesus being humble for us. Paul's saying, you be humble to one another in the same way. Here's a scripture that sums up those ways so far. This is one of uh, Martin Luther King's favorite scriptures. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, justice, yes? To love mercy, mercy, forgiveness. And to walk humbly with your God. I've said before, it, it scares me that modern Christianity seems to value pride so much. We have become an incredibly boastful generation of Christians in general Christian culture. And I'm appalled by it. It is so foreign to God's ways that it makes me a bit scared. I want to say the most about this one this morning, and I need to hurry. Honor. God loves honor and submission. That's not subjection, being under the cosh. That's willingly submitting to authority. God loves honor and submission, and God hates rebellion. Rebellion, of course, being the primal sin of pride against God. The Ten Commandments, of course, start with 
honouring God. Further down, one of the Ten Commandments is to honour our father and mother. But the way of honour is, in fact, written throughout Scripture. This matters a lot to God, and it's almost gone out of our society. So our Christian society today. So, of course, we honour God. Scripture tells us to. Scripture also tells us to honour your parents. And by the way, another one which I read just this morning, Bible reading, honour the elderly, honour the old man among you, the grey head. If it was there, it'd be grey. Okay. <laughs> it gets shaved, the grey... Carol says to me, your head's too white, you need to shave it. So... Honour <laughs> uh, the grey head. Honour the parents, honour the elderly. Another one is, honour your partner. Did you think of that one? Husbands are to honour their wives, and wives are to honour their husbands. Honour is different in each case, appropriate to the gender role, but a marriage is essentially a partnership of male and female living in love and in mutual respect. And Scripture instructs, here are the Scriptures, you've got them in the notes, but if you are writing down, you need to write those down both husband and wife, to honour the other. There's a false idea about male headship. that I'm the boss and she's got to honour me. No, you've got to honour your wife too. You've got to respect her. In fact, it's do as you would be done by. You want her to honour you, you honour her. That's scripture. Some of the ladies are saying amen. Men, say amen please. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't think this would be fun, but it is. Um, here's another one. I'm going through this quickly. Honor those who are over you in the Lord. It's a scripture, it's a phrase borrowed from Hebrews. Honor your Christian leaders. Let me just read the scriptures to you. 1 Thessalonians 5, we urge you, brothers, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, it's there as well, and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. That's honor, isn't it? Esteem them very highly. Be at peace among yourselves. Hebrews 13, verse 7, remember those who rule over you, they oversee you, they govern you, in a sense who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. By the way, the outcome of their conduct is Jesus, the same yesterday, forever. That's the outcome. The outcome is not a list of doctrines. It's a person. It's Jesus. Because they are, hopefully, showing you the ways of the Lord, which point to him. Verse 17 of the same chapter. Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive. Submissive is not, oh, well, I suppose now. It's from the heart. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do what they do with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. You know, people, uh, not many people ask me because they know I'm not bothered. You know, shall I call you pastor or not or whatever? I say, I don't, I'm not bothered because those titles don't mean much. At best, a title is just a job description. You're an elder because you oversee the church. You're a pastor because you shepherd people, right? 
which is why when the Americans started to say, pastor of worship and pastor of finance, no, 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 you don't shepherd the finances. <laughs> you oversee the finances, you know. You can, you, can, you can be the director or the manager or whatever, but you don't shepherd finances. So they made pastor into a, into a title instead of a job description. A pastor is someone who shepherds people. But you can have all sorts of managers and overseers in all sorts of roles. Honor is seen in our conduct towards who lead us. And before I come back to this, what this honor means, honor those in civic authority, civil authorities, kings, governors, even employers. 2 Peter 1, 13 to 17. That's just the headline at the end. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, which are obviously those who work for the king, or to those who are sent by him. So judges and... Uh, 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 I was going to say politicians. No, well, let's leave those out of it. <laughs> A policeman, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God. I want to know the will of God for my life. Here's some of it right here. That by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. It finishes here. Honor all people. Honor all who are deserving of honor, who are due honor. Love the brotherhood. That's the fellowship of the saints. Fear God. Honor the king. There are other places in the New Testament, including the end of Romans and so on, which teach us to honor and obey civic authorities where we can. Then there's a scripture in 1 Timothy that talks about honoring our masters, our employers, whether they're Christians or not. Serve them uh, because um, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. We are being observed as Christians in the workplace. Therefore, we need to be following the ways of the Lord, even in the way we conduct ourselves towards you know, our bosses, employers, directors, line managers, and so on. How we behave as Christians in the workplace reflects upon Christ. We honor authority by submitting to authority. Words from our mouths are not the truest honor. Obedience from the heart. Recognizing the authorities given by God, the authority really, the highest authority is God, but God has placed these people over. When Paul writes to Christians in the AD 30s, 40s, 50s, honor the king, guess who the king was? By the AD 60s, it was Nero, one of the vilest men ever to sit on the throne of Rome. And some of them were pretty bad. He was the worst ever. And yet, Paul says, honor the king. You've got to honor that authority that's there. Honor includes money. Not just in the New Testament context or because I think it's appropriate, but actually in the whole of Scripture. When we give tithes and offerings, what is it called? We honor the Lord with our giving. Therefore, if I don't give him, give it to him, I'm not honoring him. We honor the Lord with tithes, offerings, first fruits from the income that he provides to us. That's monetary. We honor our father and mother, not just saying, hello, mom, but by supporting them when needed. When we become adults and earners, we honor the elderly by making sure that they're supported and get. 
Paul talks about honoring widows who are really widows. They were going to help them and support them, just like Samson does. 300 widows they support from the, from the church in, in Mangalore. Every month, they give them enough to live on from the church. And we have a society that does those sort of things. So I know that. But years ago, it's the Christians that did everything. It was the church that fed the poor. Honor includes money. We honor church leaders by ensuring they have enough to live on and run their homes and families. And by the way, yes, thank you, I do. We do, Karen, I do. We honor civil authorities by paying all taxes required of us, not dodging taxes. Every year I'm required to fill in a tax return, an honest return of all that I've earned and all that I've spent in particular categories. Usually they give me a bit more tax back. I... All I do is I give them the honest answer and the law, the law then turns out that, uh, that way, right? I'm not trying to get more back. I just give them the answer they asked me to give them and I do the figures and that's what comes back. But we are, I believe every Christian has a duty to pay the taxes which are due and not to dodge them. And we obey the laws of the land where we can where they don't conflict the Lord's laws and his ways. Paul sums up all of this in Romans 13 by saying this. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs. Customs is like traditions. It's not another way of saying taxes. It's, it's, it's like you obey the traditions where they're, where they're not conflicting with Christian faith. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Let me just mention in passing, we're not to dishonor even the devil and demons. We're not to be bad-mouthing or reviling evil spirits. There are some pastors and prayer, you know, in, 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 prayer warriors and so on who love to have a good rant at the devil. Be careful. Because P 2 Peter 2 and Jude both have parallel passages that say, the archangel Michael didn't rail against the devil. They didn't call him names. He said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And, and it, it's a sign of false teachers and false prophets in Scripture. It's, it's a sign of people who are saying something false that they spend so much effort on bad-mouthing the devil. I warn you, please, don't do that. Scripture warns us not to. All right. And the outcome of following the ways of the Lord is, of course, another one of his ways, which is peace. God loves peace and hates discord and disorder. That's why he hates those who sow discord among his children or in the family. Because they are robbing people of peace. We pursue the ways of the Lord and the outcome is peace. When grace reigns through righteousness, when we put down our pride to honor, serve, and support others, we can rest in Christ and we're at peace, at ease with others. We're called to seek and pursue the ways of the Lord. What is important in life? The next car, moving house? No. They're okay. They need doing maybe. But the most important thing is Micah. The Lord has shown you what is good to do justly, love mercifully, walk humbly with your God. As Hosea, the ways of the Lord are right and the upright walking them. Now I could have called this talk sanctification or maturity. Let me just put it this way. It's the stated purpose of the Father that the eternal Son, Jesus, who came to rescue and restore the lost children of God, will be rewarded for his humility, his submission, his obedience and suffering by bringing many sons, that's inclusive, ladies, to glory. They will be made to become like him. So the best thing we can do in this life 
is to cooperate with that great mission of God. We are being remade into the image of God, which is the image we see in Jesus. You can ask like Moses, oh Lord, show me your ways, but he doesn't need to put you in a cave and pass by and scare you a bit. You can see the ways of God and hear him and follow him through Jesus. Jesus is the exact image of the Father. And we, that image is being formed again in us as we listen, learn, and follow his ways. Following the ways of the Lord is deeper than just a do, a do and don't list. It's understanding what God loves, what motivates him, what he delights in, what he abhors. And when we find the same measures sinking into our hearts, and there's a, there's a balance in them, justice and mercy, humility as well as confidence to, to act and to do. We're not so humble we don't attempt anything and we don't never speak up and make our opinion known. But we learn the ways of the Lord. And the best way is to keep reading the Gospels, keep looking at Jesus, and say, Holy Spirit, I thank you, you're a work in me to make me more like Jesus. Keep doing it. Keep showing me. Give me another step. Show me another Add something further to my character so that I become more like my master. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But also implied in the things you said to us, is if you love me, you will follow me. You will walk my way, follow my ways. Command us to follow you. We need to see you. We need to observe you. We need our hearts to be joined to you. I pray, Holy Spirit, you will right now work in our hearts a new, great desire to know Jesus, to follow him, and to become more like him. Keep us on the things that really matter, Lord, for we are so easily distracted. This world is a very confusing place, and right now an increasingly troubled place. Fix our hearts on Jesus, Holy Spirit. He who began something in us, calling us to faith, calling us to obedience, will, con will continue it on until we see him. Holy Spirit, please come and continue to teach us. Feed us Jesus. Not just information about him, but that we encounter him. We sense who he is and what he is again and again and again. There are moments we've only to speak his name to feel again something of his presence. Dear Lord Jesus, And I just want to suggest to anyone before we stop praying that if you've never surrendered yourself over into the hands of the Lord Jesus, you do that today. 
I'm not going to scare you and say why you, why you should do it and why you shouldn't do it and what's going to happen. No, 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 no. There's no threats in this. If not now, when? You're here today. You've heard something more about the Lord Jesus. Why not today make the decision in your heart and say to him, can I please belong to you and follow you from now? Can it start today now, please? Lord Jesus, simple as that. Make it your prayer. He'll hear you. Thank you, Lord. Okay. You can look at me again. All right, thank you. We're going to break bread.